This podcast is for the Great Writers Inspire project. Um, I'm joined today by Professor Linda Gates, who is a professor of voice at Northwestern University in the United States. Um, Linda's going to talk to us today about voice in um, Shakespeare. And uh, Linda, I'm, I'm not dramatic in any way. If I was approaching a Shakespeare play um, for the first time, what advice would you give me? Well, the interesting thing about Shakespeare is that he is rather unique in the theatrical and poetic world in that his, we have our greatest dramatist is also our greatest poet in English. So I would think of two things. One is, in terms of the voice, any time you're working on Shakespeare, he approaches the text and the characters and the speech through rhetoric. The beginning of every speech, whether it's a sonnet or it's a soliloquy, whether it's in prose, whether it's in verse, is always in terms of setting the theme, exploring the theme, and coming to a conclusion. And the thought is also punctuated by breath. Sometimes people forget to breathe when they're playing Shakespeare or playing anything else, but the most important thing is the breath is the thought. The breath is the impetus. For instance, if you have a sonnet like Shakespeare's famous, Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day? So you may, must make sure you're taking your breath before you go. Now, the other thing is that you can take a breath in a verse at the end of, especially in a sonnet, at the end of the line, and that's the sonnet form, for instance, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. As long as men can breathe and eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. So that at the end of every line, I was taking a breath. Now, it doesn't have to be a big breath. In fact, it's just a, what we call a catch breath, that you're just, you've taken a breath to start, and then you, it doesn't take much to just get to the end of a line, and then it's a breath on top of the breath you've already taken. So that you have that breath under you, you're just riding on sort of a column of air that you're always topping the tank. Now, if you have, um, if, if you have one of the speeches, again, this is from King Henry VI. This is Margaret of Anjou, who has uh, just captured the Duke of York and um, is about to lop off his head. But for instance, she, has, she starts with brave warriors Clifford and Northumberland. And Northumberland, that's the end of the line. But there are, there are commas there. You don't have to pause it. You don't have to acknowledge the comma in the middle of a verse line. So I'll just do about four lines and show you what I mean. Brave warriors, Clifford and Northumberland, come stay, make him stand upon this molehill here, 
that wrought at mountains with outstretched arms, yet parted but the shadow with his hand. So he's, he's, Shakespeare's setting it up, but actually in this I could take a breath at the end of the line. Now here's one, she goes on, he's all a question, again the breath. Breath, like, what, was it you that would be England's king, breath? Was it you that reveled in our parliament and made a preachment of your high descent? Now, I've just done two lines on one breath. You don't always have to have the line with a breath at the end. It just depends on how it, if, if the line continues, you continue. Then there, where are your mess of sons to back you now? Now you have a dash. You can take a breath. The wanton Edward and the lusty George. Question mark, take a breath. And where's that valiant crookback prodigy Dicky, your boy, that with his grumbling voice was wont to cheer his dad in mutinies? That's three lines, breath at the end. You can keep going. Breath, oh, with the rest, where is your darling Rutland breath? Now you have something here, look, York, and then you have a colon. You can take a quick breath there. Look, York, or not. Look, York, I stained this napkin with the blood that valiant Clifford with his rapier's point made issue from the bosom of the boy. Breath, there's a semicolon there, you can take a breath. And if thine eyes can water for his death, I give, this, I give thee this to dry thy cheeks withal. So that it's just a question that you, you can pick up the speed as long as you have the breath behind it. It's the thought that counts. And the other two things I would say is that there are always comparisons with antithesis. So if it's black or white, hot or cold, rich or poor, if you can sometimes even have three of antithesis in line, just keep picking them up. And that helps make this, the text clear. This is just a quick overview, but uh, you can try it. So you'd mark, essentially you breathe with the marks of punctuation, if full stop, take a breath, colon, semicolon, take a breath, dash. You can look at different texts. There's not one definitive text. Main thing is to make sense of the text and have the breath punctuate the thought. I'm very interested in the fact that um, Shakespeare is one of the, the few Renaissance dramatists that is, is constantly, um, constantly put on by amateur groups especially. Um, do you think there's something about vocalizing Shakespeare that makes um, makes it particularly attractive for amateurs and professionals alike? Well, I think Shakespeare is a playwright of words. He's a poet, so that when you begin art, and he's a great one, so he never gives you the the emotion without the fear without the words to back it up. So it's also very clear. It's not difficult to, I mean, there are cer certain areas that maybe are more complex than others, but he's always been a favorite. He's never stopped being a favorite with both audiences and with actors. It's interesting that in early American history, Shakespeare was the most read book. Even people who were literate would hire people to read to them from Shakespeare. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was very very influenced by Shakespeare. So most cabins in the wilderness had Shakespeare in the Bible. And Shakespeare ceased to be maybe as popular with students when they started teaching it in the schools. And part of it is they began to teach it as a literary exercise. Shakespeare is, can be read on many levels, but primarily he writes for the theater 
and he writes to be performed by actors and people using the words and speaking it aloud. It doesn't exist as deeply on the printed page as it does in the mouths of actors.